This morning I was reading in the scriptures, uh, Psalms 116, where it says, What shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits that he has done for me? All the benefits that he has given to me. He said, uh, the, the psalmist went on to say, I will, I will uh, lift up the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. How, how many has God been good to you? How many in the room? God has been good to you. And I just, I, I just, I've been thinking about this uh, for the last 24 hours. I just wanted to say to you today, I wanted to say to you today, you are essential. I really want you to know that as a person, as the people of God, as the body of Christ, we are essential. And there is a reason why we're here. There's a reason why we're going through this. There's a reason that God has beyond what are, seems to be the obvious or you know, any kind of resistance. And I just, I just think we need to be reminded that in this kind of confusing place that we are in right now, that we are essential in the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. And so for that reason, I, I feel like along those lines, the Lord dropped in my spirit this series that we're doing on spiritual warfare entitled Storming the Gates of Hell. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not be able essentially to stop it. Even though Jesus sent us forth and he gave us a mission and he gave us a, he co- he gave us a commission, commission to fulfill. And he said, as you go, there's going to be gates of hell that are going to be up and trying to withstand you, stop you, prevent you. But he said, it won't be able to stop you because I'm building my church. He's building you and he's building me. And he said, hell cannot stop it. And in a sense, so as we're living in this life, in a way, though our focus isn't the gates of hell, our focus is the commission of Jesus Christ. But as we're going for what Jesus called us to go for, in a sense, in a way, we're storming the gates of hell. We're coming up against the kingdom of darkness and we're trying to take captive those who have been held captive, we want to bring them into the kingdom of God. Amen. So we're on this idea. We talked about our attitude for this spiritual warfare. Last week we talked about our, our assistance, our help that we have in the angelic warfare. Today I want to talk about your adversary. Today we're going to talk about... Today we're going to deal with the devil. That's what we're going to do today. And um, we're going to talk about... I, and I... I I want to say at the outset, I do not want to give him undue press. I'm not here to highlight him, but we are here to expose him so that we can learn how to walk in the victory that Jesus has already made available to us. And so today we're going to be talking about this idea of the adversary, just what we're up against. And I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture. The first one is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Let's read that verse of Scripture together. Paul writes and he says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Would you read that out loud with me? Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
Now we're going to look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 10, 11, and 12. So follow along as I read this to you. The writer says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. And that's the word. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your presence here today. And we do thank you, as along, along with what Daniel has already shared with us today. We sense your peace in the room today. And I just pray, God, that that peace would set a guard over our hearts and minds, even as we go through the word in these next few moments. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would have your way. Speak through me and speak into every one of our hearts, God, today by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody says amen. You have probably heard it said, I've said it, I do say it, I say amen to it. But there's a little slogan that you hear when it comes to spiritual warfare jargon where people will say, life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And that is true and I still stand behind that, but I do also believe that there's a tension in that because the Bible says that God has given us all things richly to enjoy in this life. And so I do see life a little bit like a playground too because God has given us all this to enjoy and he wants us to live life to the fullest and Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so there is a little playground in life, but we never can forget that in our play and in our living life to the fullest, you might find yourself in a fight at any moment. And we need to be aware of that. It's kind of like going to school. It was you're working through the class and then you go out to the playground and you go out to the playground to play. And then somewhere on the playground, a fight broke out. Somebody said something, somebody did something, somebody stole the ball, somebody pushed somebody too hard, whatever the case may be, and that's kind of what life is like. And I think that's what Paul is trying to say to us in Ephesians chapter 6. He has spent the majority of the book of Ephesians letting us know who we are in Christ, what our life is all about, what a great life we have in Christ, what an eternal and fulfilling and wonderful life we have in Christ. But when he comes to chapter 6, if you remember how he says it, and finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Because even in all of this wonderful stuff about life, there are fights that break out. We're in spiritual warfare. As we're living life to the fullest, this is the tension that we're living. As we're living life to the fullest in Jesus, we also have to be ready at any given moment and throughout the course of our life to fight the good fight of faith. 
And he's letting us know that we're coming up against mobilized, demonized forces that are working against the will of God in our lives. And so this is why we need to talk about this kind of stuff. Now, I want to remind us here today that Satan is real and he is an evil being who has set himself against God and against all that is God's. He can't get to God, so he tries to get to whatever God loves and whatever God has made and whatever God has destined. He can't control God. He can't stop God. He, can't have, he is not the antithesis of God. He, is, he, he and God are not going back and forth, but he is trying to come against everything and everyone that belongs to the Lord. Okay? He's real. He has set himself against the, king, uh, the things of God. Although we cannot see him, we are at war with him. He is otherworldly, and yet he is capable. I don't understand it, but he is capable of influencing world affairs and wreaking havoc in the lives of people. He works against people. And he does this to those who either are ignorant to the reality of him, don't believe in the, don't believe that he is an actual being that is out to wreak havoc in their lives, or he will do this in the lives of those who are negligent and are not vigilant and not paying attention. And so, if we're not careful, he can even make victims of victors and casualties of conquerors. Amen. Let me give you an example of this. Peter. One day Jesus said to Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, blessed are you. You didn't get this from flesh and blood, but you got this divine revelation of who I am from from the Father. The Father divinely gave you revelation of the reality of who I am. And then Jesus, within those moments, went on to explain that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be buried, that he was going to be raised on the third day. And when Peter heard that, anger rose up in his spirit. He pulled Jesus to the side and said, Lord, I'm not going to allow this to be. You're not, this is not the way the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in. And the Bible said that Jesus turned to Peter and looked at him and said, you get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you do not have the things of God in mind but the things of men. All at once, within just a matter of moments, Peter had, he had been on the heights of divine revelation and then in the depths of demonic thought. Woo! Come on now. I'm telling you, church, we've got to be careful. The enemy is real. We must be vigilant. We must be aware. And no wonder Peter went on to write years later when he wrote his epistle, when he was writing to the Christians and he said, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. He wasn't talking to sinners, he's talking to Christians. To be able to resist him steadfast in the faith requires that we really do know and understand what we are up against. And one of the most basic principles of warfare are in these three words. Know your enemy. 
Amen. That's half the battle. Know what you're up against. Know what you're dealing with. So today, there are a couple of ideas that I want that we really need to know. The first thing is this. We need to know the wiles of the devil. We need to know the wiles. Paul said in Ephesians 6:11, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He said in another place in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he lets us know that Satan can take advantage of us if we are ignorant of his devices. Look at those words. Satan can get the advantage if we are ignorant of his devices. If we're not paying, if we don't know how he works, now that word wiles, we get our, the, the Greek word for that is our word, we get the word method from. Methodus. And the word while means a way of working, a procedure, or a practice, or a trick, or a scheme to fool someone. Satan has his methods of operation. There's a method to his madness. And we, as Paul says, we need to be aware of it. Because if we're not aware of it, if we're not clear on how he works and how he moves in and around the people of God as well as the people in the world that are lost, then he can get the advantage of every situation and he'll kill, he'll steal, and he'll destroy. Because he has the power to do it. And so, there's a method. And and when we see the names of Satan and the titles that are attributed to him and the descriptions, descriptions of him in the Bible, we get a clearer sense of just how he works. And I want, to give this, I want to give you some of the wiles of the devil in five words. The first word is opposition. Everybody say opposition. Now the name Satan means the opposer, the adversary, the one who opposes Satan's primary function is to stand in the way of the will of God concerning your life and my life. In fact, the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. In the unseen realm, in which we can't see, Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he is warring and opposing the will of God from being done in every one of our lives. He's an opposer. He stands in the way. He's trying to hinder what God wants to accomplish in and through your life. And he does this on a couple of levels. First of all, before you were a Christian... He, as the God of this age or the God of this world, he blinded our eyes to the reality of who Jesus was. That's what he's doing right now over this whole world. He wants the whole world to be kept in the dark to the reality of who Jesus is. He keeps us or he wants to keep us from getting saved. How many are glad that you are saved today? That he didn't have the power to stop you. That he was, he was a blinder. At one point you were blind. And he was doing everything he could do to keep you in the dark. And then once you come to faith in Jesus, he doesn't stop opposing you. Now he wants to hinder your effectiveness and your growth and your significance in Christ. 
And he'll stand in the way of whatever the will of God is for your life. He'll stand in the way of your spiritual growth. He'll stand in the way of your, of your growth in your marriage and in your life and in your ministry. He'll, he'll do whatever he can to steep, keep you from going forward. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, he was describing to the believers there in Thessalonica. He said, I wanted to come to you time and again. It was my desire. I had it in my heart to come to you time and again. But he said, I... And this is the way he said it, I, even I, me, the Apostle Paul, Satan hindered me from getting there. You say, well, it must have been God's will if he didn't get there. But that's not what Paul said. Listen to me, that's not what he said. Let's not play tricks with the word of God. Let's not try to fit it into our theology that he could have said that. He could have said, well, it must not have been God's will. But he didn't say that. He said, Satan hindered me. And I just want to remind us here today that when you feel the opposition, you'll, you'll sense the opposition of Satan coming up against you. Can I just say something without... Without making this, I don't, want to, I don't want to overstate an issue, but sometimes you're not just having a bad day. Sometimes you're having an evil day. It's the opposition of hell. Be aware. Be aware. Amen. Here's another word, temptation. Everybody say temptation. The Bible describes Satan as a tempter. To be tempted is not a sin, but it is one of the weapons that Satan uses to draw us into self-destructive choices and behaviors that will sabotage our own freedom in Jesus Christ. He's a tempter. James says that when we're tempted, when we yield to temptation, it is because there was an inner desire on the inside of us. And here's the key. Satan knows our desires. He's got a, he's got a printout of your weaknesses. I guarantee it. He knows where you and I are weakest and he'll play to those weaknesses and he'll trigger us in certain ways. Amen. He'll come with these temptations. He'll bait the hook. He'll Set the trap with something to draw us in, and we have a choice where you can either resist the temptation because it's not a sin to be tempted. We can either resist it or we'll go after it and we'll take hold of it and we'll find ourselves in a bondage that will just prevent us from walking in the freedom of Jesus Christ. It's a tactic. It's a while. Amen. Now listen. Satan will tempt us in all kinds of areas. He will tempt us in relation to pride, to, being, to walking in pride. He'll tempt us in areas of fear. He will tempt us in areas of sex and money and power and possessions. He'll tempt us relationally in hurts and being offended and having an offended and wounded spirit. He will tempt us in all ways. Don't sit around and judge everybody else for all the temptations they fall into. Look at the ones that trigger your soul. Those come from hell. Amen. 
Satan tempted Jesus with the whole world. He said, bow to me and I will give you the kingdoms of the world. Why was he able to say that? Because 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world lies under the power of the wicked one. And you know what, Satan, Satan, I don't, again, I don't understand this, but he has the ability, he has the capability of giving stuff to people. Of giving them stuff. Tempting them with stuff. It's not substantial. It won't matter. It doesn't mean anything. It won't fulfill the deepest desires of their heart. But initially, it releases endorphins and it feels great at the time. But it's stuff. There's no substance to it. Amen. And he gets us. He gets us to buy into it. I remember a couple of years ago, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but a couple of different times, Julie and I got this big, bright, beautiful card in the mail. And attached to that card, it came from an automotive dealership, and attached to it was a key. And it says, you can take this key right now, and you can come down, and you can put it in the car, and you can drive off the lot. I'm like, you're, you're kidding me. I mean, that's what it kind of said, but there were a lot of small print in there. And if I didn't pay attention to the small print, I would have got myself in a world of hurt financially. Amen. And Satan's got his own set of keys. Here. Drive off with that. Open up that. Go after that. Do that. It's your right. Amen. He's a tempter. Satan tempts us with stuff but no substance. The third word, the third wild I want to talk about is the, the wild of deception. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verses 13 and 14 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Jesus said he's a liar. But listen, his mode of deception is more often than not cloaked in good-looking and nice-sounding ideas. Things that make sense to me. Or make sense to my experience. Or make sense to my hidden agenda. Oh, come on now. Don't shout me down. Paul is saying, Satan doesn't show up as the exorcist movie. He shows up as an angel of light. That's how he shows up. And he whispers things and he infers things and he manipulates things to make things look like it's good. Almost providential. It's providentially perverse. His deceptions are a counterfeit to the real. They're not real. It's, he's not the real light, but he appears to be, he appears as an angel of light. But it's counterfeit. It's kind of like when you really look at it, at, in, at first glance, it would seem like one and the same thing. But if you understand the true, you'll know the counterfeit. 
And he has this counterfeit idea of ownership, like you're the master of your own domain. Your life is your life. You, whatever you want to do, you can do. It's all about you. No, you don't understand. You were made by God for God. What did Satan, when he slithered into the garden and was talking with Eve, he said, well, here, here's why God doesn't want you to eat the apple or the fruit of the tree. It's because he knows that you'll be like God. You'll become like him. Just be in charge of your own life. Live life how you want to live life. Make the choices you want to make. Listen, you are not your own. You and I were bought with a price. And if we're not paying attention, we can start believing the lie, the deception of the evil one. He will come in with a counterfeit view of what is good and what is evil. Woe to them, the Bible says, who call evil good and good evil. And this is exactly the culture we're living in today. We're seeing this kind of played out right before our very eyes in a lot of ways. But before we start cursing the darkness, let's check into our own heart. Let's check into our own hotel here and find out what's going on. What are we thinking that's evil, that's really good, or what's good that we want to make evil? This is what Satan does. He comes in, he tries to confuse matters. And get us make decisions based on that. He also gives us a counterfeit view of what the truth is. He came at Jesus and he began to, you know, tempt Jesus in one way or another. And how did Jesus respond? Every time with the truth of God's word. Because essentially everything that Satan wants you to do essentially is going to lead you away from the truth of God's word. Amen. And so we live in this culture today. Satan wants to deceive us into a kind of relativistic view of truth, like truth changes with the times. Truth is cultural. Truth is, you know, it's kind of like, what's going on now? We're not there anymore. We're here. And he wants to, he wants to get us into this idea of changing the way we think about truth. No. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away before my words will pass away. Truth is for every generation. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. There's also a, another element to this deception of what is true, and that's the, the kind of a subjective, like, true to me. Like, my experience. My personal conviction. This is true. Jesus is true. And your experience and your personal convictions come under the authority of Jesus' truth. Amen. He'll also want to give us a counterfeit gospel. A kind of a, a Jesus plus gospel. I was reading just the other day where Paul said, we can't drink the cup of the Lord Jesus and the cup of demons. And what he was saying was, you can't have it, you can't kind of commingle the gospel salvation and your little add-ons to make it fit, you know, well, it's Jesus, but it's this. No, it's the cup of Jesus. Because when I start adding to the gospel, if I'm adding my works, that's a counterfeit gospel. If I'm adding, 
If I'm adding, you know, my ability, that's, a, that's drinking the cup of demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Amen. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. Watch out. You know what? Let's all get to know the real deal. And we'll know when the counterfeit shows up. Amen. Here's another way that he comes in. The word is accusation. Accusation. The devil, a while of the devil is not only opposition, temptation, and deception, but it's accusation. If we take the bait and believe the lie of the devil, Satan will then turn right around and slander us and condemn us and accuse us of being losers. Come on, don't you know how he works? He's like, do this, say this, respond this way, go after this, enjoy that, take the key, put it in, drive off. And then when you do, you're going down the road, he's like, you're a loser, God doesn't love you, you've messed up, oh, you're, you're done for. Come on now. He's an accuser. The title, devil, means just that, he's a slanderer. He's an accuser. Satan will accuse us before God, highlighting our sin and our weaknesses. He'll just be pointing out, in the Old Testament, there was a high priest by the name of Joshua, and the prophet saw a vision of him standing in the presence of the Lord, and the devil was standing right beside him. And he said, he's, got, he's full of sin And the Bible said, the Lord responded to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. Hallelujah. Satan always is accusing you before God day and night. That's what what Revelation said, if if you remember. He said, day and night. Day and night. How many of you ever experienced that day and night accusation in your head of the devil? And then what he does is he condemns us of our failures. And he's breathing down our neck about it. And then here's here's another way that he accuses and gets us all wrapped up in accusation. In our thoughts, he will accuse God of any perceived injustices on his part toward us. Now listen, he'll start, when we ask questions like, Why did God do this? Or why did God allow that? Or why didn't God stop that from happening? Or why hasn't God answered my prayer? Listen, on on one level, it's okay to ask questions. I want to say that. It's all right to ask genuine, heartfelt questions. But don't ever lose yourself in those questions. Remember, Satan can use those things to get you to doubt God, to get you to be disappointed with God, to pull you away from God. He's up to no good. He's an accuser. And the last while of the devil is affliction. These are just some of the ways that he works. He works through affliction too. Satan is known as the destroyer. Jesus said the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what Satan has come to do, right? He wants, and he's known as the destroyer. And where possible, he will seek to injure, to harm, to make us sick, 
to cause us great pain. One of the most clear elements of this and pictures of this in the Bible is the story in Luke chapter 13 where there was a woman who was infirmed and afflicted of the devil for 18 years and she was bent over and she couldn't straighten up. And on the Sabbath day, Jesus healed her. And he chose to do it on the Sabbath day because he wanted to ruffle some feathers, but he wanted to heal her because she had been bound of the devil, physically afflicted of the devil. Now Jesus makes it very clear in no uncertain terms. That woman was infirmed because she had come under the affliction of the devil. Now, I don't, I can't see behind the veil on this issue at all. I don't fully understand what, what sickness is just because of the fall of the human race or what sickness comes by way of a fiery dart of the evil one. And, and we know also in another place in scripture that some, some sickness sometimes or some physical affliction comes by way of maybe sin on our part. It seems to indicate that. I, I don't, I don't know what's what or where it comes from, but I know here that there's some of the stuff that we feel in our bodies, some of the attacks, some of the infirmities that we have are nothing short of an attack of the devil. And it's in situations like that that we need to prayerfully and boldly Get with the Lord and figure out what's what, what's going on, how did this happen, where's this coming from. Run to the Lord just as surely as we might run to a doctor. It's okay to go to your physician, but don't bypass the great physician. Amen. And I want to remind us here today that Paul, he said that his Physical affliction, whatever it was, that thorn in his flesh means it was a physical affliction. He said it was a messenger of Satan. It was brought on by hell. But thank the Lord Jesus' grace was sufficient. Hallelujah. So these are just some of the ways that the devil works. We need to be a... These are his wily ways. He's a sly old fox. Amen. And he opposes us. I mean, he just, what you're feeling sometimes in the pushback, that's hell. It's not just, well, I feel a pushback at work. Well, it might be, hell might be behind it. Amen. Temptation, deception, accusation. So we need to know the wiles of the devil. And then the second thing, and I want to, kind of end it here is that we need to know the way to overcome his opposition we need to know how to overcome his deception and his temptations and his accusations and let's look again at revelation chapter 12 verse 11 let's look at it and it says there they overcame him that is satan the devil they overcame him in fact let's read this out loud and together and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
and they did not love their lives to the death. The phrase they overcame him needs to be understood in this way. Satan is already a defeated foe. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Done deal. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. He is as good. Listen, can I say it this way? Satan is on death row. I mean, he's just waiting for, right now, right now he's just waiting for Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 to happen, where it says he'll be thrown into the lake of fire where he'll be tormented forever and forever and forever and forever. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? But between what happened to him on the cross, 1 John 3, 8, and Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, he's wreaking, working havoc because he knows his time is short. And when it says they overcame him, that means they walked in the victory of Christ where he didn't have any power over them. Hallelujah. Because even though he's a defeated foe, we have to appropriate and overcome him and his deceptions and his work in our lives on the daily through our life. He's defeated. But there's an overcoming work that needs to be done. So how do we overcome him? First, we overcome him through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what's meant when it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, come on. Amen. 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 How many of you thank the Lord for Jesus? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Anyone... When Jesus died on the cross, Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, he said that when Jesus died on the cross, he made a spectacle of the demonic forces of darkness and he destroyed them through his cross. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. He came and he never sinned. And he took upon himself all our sin and all our separation and all our brokenness and Paul said before we came to Jesus Christ we were children of wrath and we were children of the devil clear in the scriptures Satan had his claws in our soul but when Jesus came and died on the cross he destroyed the power of the devil and the Bible says and anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved the blood has covered them and broken the power of hell over them let me tell you something number one the way we walk in victory is through Jesus not through me not through you not through your ability or my ability it's because Jesus destroyed the power of the devil through his shed blood and when his blood is applied to our heart by faith we're free just like in the Old Testament remember that the children of Israel were released out of Egypt they had to take the blood of the lamb and they applied it to the doorpost and to the lentil the shape of the cross and when the death angel flew over Egypt, everywhere the blood was applied, he flew right over. 
And this angel of death called Lucifer has no power over people that have been applied with the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Isn't that great news? Man, I've been waiting to get to the good news today. This is the good news. So what if, I, what if I'm a believer and I sin? Ah, I'm glad you asked. Going to 1 John chapter 1, verse, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Don't do it now, but you can look at it later. We stand in the courtroom of life at all times. And we have on one side Satan accusing us of our failures and our sins. But John said, on the other side, we have the advocate. I love this. i got to stay up here. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Right? John says, if I walk in fellowship with Jesus, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. There's, there's no failure on my part that Jesus, that Jesus say, oh, I give up on him. I give up on her. I can't do this anymore. Nope. He's the advocate. He stands right at my side, and he says to the Father, the judge, this one is ours. This one is ours. This one is ours. This was, Satan says, they, they did this, and they did that, and they went here, and they thought that, and they did it again. This one is ours. This one is ours. This one is ours. Hallelujah. I heard one old preacher say one time, anytime the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Amen. The way do we overcome is by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That's the way we overcome. But there is another element to this. It, it is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is far and away. N- nothing we say after this point compares to that point. The cross. But with that, Notice what he said. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And that's the word confession. The way we overcome the devil is by our confession of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Savior and the Lord over our lives. And that word of their testimony in that reality is so key to overcoming. It's so key. The word testimony is the word we get our word martyr from. And a martyr means someone who will verbally and with their lifestyle witness openly and boldly what they believe, even if it means death. Even if for standing for this, it may rob me of my life, I know that I know that this is truth. And that's just, that's it. You can't, you, you can take my life, but you can't take what I believe and what I know to be true. And because they had that conviction and that commitment, that conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ, they overcame. And, and so once we've been covered with the blood, what is so important is the word of our testimony. What follows is a, a public 
bold, courageous identification with Jesus Christ. The devil, the devil can't do anything with that. He can't. Right here, that's telling. This is part of how we overcome public identification. Bold, courageous identification with Jesus Christ. We live in a culture that wants to censure us and wants to guilt us and shame us for the ways that we believe and the one that we follow. But a true martyr, a true testifier will overcome no matter what they do. Was that too far? Did I go too far? It got really quiet in here. I got to watch myself. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he said, Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Lay hold on the eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Part of the fight is the confession of our faith. Part of the way that we fight the good fight and lay hold on the eternal life, and we don't miss all that God has for us in this life and in the life to come, is that we have a testimony and a confession. We're not going to be robbed of it. The word, the word, the word for word of their testimony, that word is logos. We testify to the word of God. We testify to what God says. We believe and we, we hold on to what God says. We hold on to the logos of God. Amen. Of the Lord. We, this, is our, this is our word. His word is my word. And what he says, I say. And what he tells me, I say. And what, you know, what God has shown to me and revealed to me, this is, this is the word of my testimony. So on the one hand, I testify to the truth of God's word. But it was the word of their, their testimony. I want to ask you a question. What's your testimony? Because you have one. And it's so important that you have your own testimony. That you don't have a second-hand testimony. You don't have to have my testimony or the testimony of somebody else. Because every one of us have a, an experience and a history and a brokenness and a sinfulness and a you know, we, we all come from different places, and it's the word of your testimony that crushes Satan underneath your feet. Amen. I love that, that, uh, that story in John chapter 9 where Jesus heals the blind man, and they call him in, and, and it was also on the Sabbath because Jesus just like messing up the religious system. And they were upset that Jesus healed the guy, and and they're calling him in, and they're calling him into question, and they're putting pressure on him. They're not even celebrating the fact that he can see now. They're just like trying to like get to the bottom of this rabbi, messed up person that's coming through town and messing their world up. And the blind man, out of frustration, just said, look. He said, I don't know what else to tell you. I was blind, and now I see that's my testimony. I was a mess. Look at me now. I mean, I'm not what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And I'm not where I'm going to be, but I'm not where I used to be either. 
I was blind and now I see. That's everybody's, Everybody in this room has that testimony. And the way you put Satan under your feet is that testimony needs to, become a, needs to be flowing out of our lives. Amen. The final thing that I see in this scripture is our commitment. In this last phrase it says, and they did not love their lives to the death. These conquerors, these victorious people, in verse 11, loved Jesus more than they loved their very lives. Come on. They loved Jesus more than they loved their very lives. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. Paul said in another place, for to me to live is Christ. If I die, I gain more. But while I'm living, it's all about Jesus. That's commitment. That's a life that is decided, I'm dead to me. I'm dead to this world. I'm dead to my tendencies. I'm, I've, Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. You've got to die. That's what that means. You've got to die to yourself if you want to live in me. Amen. So the only real goal for our life is for the is for Christ to be exalted in our life. And if we're going to have that happen, it means death to us. And if at any place in our life there is no death to self, there can be no victory over the devil. If there's any place to me that I'm not willing to die, in that place, in that place, Satan will have the victory. I've got to die. These people overcame because they did not love their own lives, even if it meant death. So, our power, our power over the devil is in our committed relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing, is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and be committed to that relationship. That's your power. Come on, church, that's your power. There's no secret potion to drink here. There's, I mean, other than what we're seeing in the, in the Word of God, how the Word of God lays it out for us, there's, there's no secret idea about how to overcome all the powers of the darkness. God has revealed it in His Word. And your power is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, all authority has been given to me. I give it to you. You shall trample on the heads of scorpions and serpents, and nothing by any means shall harm you. Nothing will have the power over you because authority has been given to me and if you're in me and I'm in you and there's a relationship there and you're fully committed to that relationship, you'll overcome. You're going to feel resistance. You're going to get opposition. You will be tempted. And you will fail and be accused of failing and on and on and on and on it goes. But I give you authority. 
Hallelujah. I give you authority. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Is your name, as the old hymn says, is your name written down in glory? Is your name written down in heaven? Because that's the key to really overcoming. To know Jesus. Be committed to the Lord. Let's all stand together. Can we just bow our heads for just a moment? I just want to ask. I want to give opportunity. It's it's been a little while since I've done this. But I just wonder. Is there anyone in the room today. That you'd be bold enough to raise your hand. So so that I could just pray with you. And and maybe even connect with you on some level. Is there anyone in the room today. To say Tim I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Would you pray for me? If, if that is you, would you just boldly lift your hand straight up in the air so that I can make connection with, with you and pray for you? Is there anyone? I'm looking across the room here. Okay, I don't see any hands. And so I take that to mean either you didn't want any of that or that all of you are in the family. Hallelujah. And if you are all in the family, hey, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. Amen? Amen. So, Father, I just pray for every one of us today as we leave this place that we will go out in the courage and in the authority and in the boldness of the Lord Jesus himself. Lord, I pray. Lord, you said in your word that the righteous are bold like a lion. And, God, I pray that you would make us bold with your love, that you would make us bold with your light, that you would make us bold with your truth, God. And wherever we feel the intimidation and the pushback of hell coming against us, I just pray, Lord, that we would just stand up in the blood of the cross, in the blood of the Lamb, that we will make our confession strong and we will make our commitment deep. Hallelujah. And that we will fight the good fight of faith and lay take hold of the eternal life. In Jesus' name, Lord, bless everyone. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you and to give you peace today. Amen. 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 All right, guys. God bless you. Have a great day.